0: Everyone and welcome to episode 106 of the Game Explain Real Talk podcast. I'm your host Ash Paulson, and with me today are Tom Arnold and John Cartwright. How are you guys doing?
1: Uh, I would say spectacular again, but I'd be stealing John's thunder. So I'm just
2: doing, I'm doing well. Just well. Okay. <laughs> well, I am, I am doing spectacular. See, there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well,
0: we'll we'll save the really spectacular feelings for John this week. Um, I have no idea, actually, where Andre is. I know Derek is moving into his fancy new house today, so that's why he's out and and not available, but I actually don't know where Andre is. Do do you, Tom? Uh, maybe he's just sleeping. Yeah, we're in kind of a weird recording situation this week, because Andre and Derek are both kind of busy, and then I'm actually over here in the Netherlands, which means that for once, I'm actually in John's, or at least close to John's time zone. Uh, John is only an hour behind me now. Uh, whereas, mm-hmm. it's super you know, weird. It's, I'm usually in the Pacific <laughs> time zone, but, uh, yeah, I'm over here in the Netherlands for a, a, trance festival with my wife, uh, called Luminosity, and we've been doing that for the past few days, and, uh, yeah, it just kind of worked out that we got the time zones kind of meshed and figured I would host again this week.
2: Yeah, it doesn't really feel like a whole lot's changed, though. You being in a different time zone, because usually I wake up in the morning and everyone's asleep, apart from Ash. Yeah. He's always (laughs) awake at all times. Yeah, and that hasn't changed. So (laughs) I'm really
0: trying. Like for a while there, I was getting my sleep schedule back on track, and I'm still kind of close to it. But yeah, like I used to be worse, John. Like when I a few years ago, I would be up until like five in the morning, just because you know working from home will do (laughs) that for you, especially for a long period of time. And that's one of the main reasons I don't want to work from home anymore is because it's just it leads to so many or it can lead to so many uh, unhealthy habits, you know, living habits. So I'm trying Mm. to get my my sleep schedule back on track. And it's actually what you've seen amazingly is not as bad as it used to be. Well, what have you guys been up to this past week?
2: Um, not not a whole lot other than playing games, really. Uh, It's been really hot here, actually, um, for the first time ever. And so I've gone out a few times and just enjoyed the sun. Um, but yeah, this summer so far has just been basically like spring. Um, so it's been around like 18 degrees Celsius for a while, but now it's um, gone all the way up to about 28 degrees. Okay. Oh. Um, Jeez. Yeah, so it's, it's gotten pretty jawingly hot compared to usual. Because usually British sum- summers are just, they're nothing. Like <laughs> You barely feel anything. Um, but yeah, it's been nice to actually see the sun for once.
0: Well, I wish we were getting your British summers instead, or, like, I should say back in L.A., because I know it's hot there, but actually over here in Zahnvort right now, like, last year when my wife and I went to Luminosity, I was in heaven, because it was, like, cloudy, overcast, maybe 50s, 60s, windy. That's, like, my favorite kind of weather. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, it'll be the same for this year, and Zahnvort's known for having that kind of weather. Of course, this one weekend... The locals here are like, oh, wow, we're having a crazy heat wave, and it's like 80 degrees, and it's still windy, so that's nice, but the one weekend that I'm here for Luminosity again, they're having a heat wave, and I have heat waves all the time down in L.A. Like, I don't need to travel across the world for more heat, so <laughs> I'm kind of salty about that, and I really wish the Netherlands would, would get its weather act together, for me, personally, because obviously that's the most important thing, right? But, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I am, and uh, and my wife actually has been going to the festival... Before me every day because she knows I just can't handle hot weather and she's like yeah you're not missing anything it's hot here like I'm here for the music but you come later and it's fine so I've been hanging back getting uh, you know recording stuff like the smash discussion yesterday this podcast getting some switch time in so it's been kind of a nice vacation time for me as well.
2: And this is only step um, one of your, your vacation. Like You're going all the way across the world for um, you're going to a couple of places over the next few weeks, right?
0: Yeah, so it's kind of a weird how it worked out. I, uh, it, it's an insane travel schedule, but basically my wife and I are here in the Netherlands uh, until the 3rd. And then we fly back to L.A. on the 3rd, and we're there, we're there for a whole day for uh, her little sister's 21st birthday on July 4th. And then we fly back out on July 5th to Tokyo, and we're, there, we're in Tokyo for a week. And that actually, that second part of the trip was not planned until like maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago-ish, but basically uh, the Rockman 30th anniversary concert is happening in Japan that week, and my wife's like, you know, yeah, sure, if we're planning it, planning it this soon, plane tickets aren't the best price, but we actually found decent prices, and she's like, look, you know, you can't take the money with you when you die. You know, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience for you, probably. There may be a Rockman 60th anniversary concert, but chances are <laughs> this is probably a once-in-a-lifetime event. And so I think, you know, to to be there in Tokyo with, with all these Rockman fans listening to Rockman Music Live, obviously that's going to be pretty awesome for me. And, you know, I don't need an excuse to go to, to Japan, period. You know, my, my wife and I go to Japan as much as we can. We love it there. This will be my fourth time, and I believe her third, so... We're just gonna go enjoy the Mega Man concert, eat lots and lots of food. We could just eat our way through that country easily, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, just kind of uh, you know enjoy being in Japan for a week.
1: Is the concert uh, sort of a electronic type concert, or like, I'm I not wondering quite what type of how, how it goes down.
0: I'm not quite sure that the feeling I've gotten is that it's maybe a a, a few different styles, but probably given like the. I don't know, I feel like when, when Mega Man music is played live ever, they kind of take a rock bent, so I feel like it'll be kind of done in the style of like a, a live rock concert, possibly, but yeah. But there is mm-hmm. stuff from, like, I think they're covering every franchise, like, there's supposed to be stuff from Battle Network in there, and so, I mean, and that's not really, that. those soundtracks don't lend themselves as well to rock covers as the classic and X series do, so I'm thinking there'll be kind of a, you know, a combination of styles represented, hopefully.
2: Yeah, like, Legends in Rock probably wouldn't work so well. Exactly.
0: So, yeah, but I'm just looking forward to it. They're really going all out with it, apparently, and I think I've read that uh, there's going to even be Star Force music in there, and who knows, maybe they'll give right. us some sneak peeks or sneak listens to some uh, Mega Man 11 music that we haven't heard yet.
2: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah,
0: so either way, it'll make for a great discussion. I'll take plenty of video and pictures, and, yeah, we can do a discussion about it, and uh, Andre's already asked me. He's reminded me, like, hey um there's what is it luigi's mansion oh, well i played luigi's mansion arcade oh, here
1: a, yeah that's what i was trying to say then and then you said i played it already and i went oh, right okay it's okay. not special at all then
0: <laughs> well, well yeah but i mean still it's, it's still somewhat i guess it's it's still it's not something that a lot of people have access to so even though it's something that i could you know reasonably prob- probably record and do a discussion about at home you know might as well do it while i'm there
2: yeah, and then there's Mario Kart VR 2, which I really want to try myself, but, um... Right, yeah. that's
0: that's the big one, Andre. Yeah, no, and I'm glad you guys reminded me, because I had completely forgotten about Mario Kart VR, and I, you know, we're probably going to be staying not too far from Akihabara, so, you know, I'm going to go to any number of arcades and try that out, and uh, that'll be a fun discussion to have for sure. So, uh, what have you guys been playing?
2: Um, well, I just got off reviewing Wolfenstein 2 The New Colossus, which I absolutely adored. And I was I kind of put off by it from what other people have said. Like some people say it's a big step down from the New Order and that um, apparently the difficulty was um, off balance when it first launched and they've addressed that earlier this year. Um, but because this was my first time playing that game, I wasn't really exposed to any difficulty and balance and it just felt really good. Okay. So I think it. I think the game's actually improved over time. Um, and yeah, I, I had a great time with it. and I, I ended up enjoying it more than the New Order, which I already liked a lot. Um, but yeah, both both Doom and Wolfenstein kind of feel like they fill in that, that Half-Life kind of gap, where it's just a really solid single-player shooter, and we don't really get very many of those. Like, shooters are primarily multiplayer these days, right. and it's just it's great to have a, a great single-player campaign for a shooter. Like, this feels very uncommon nowadays, and it's like we're in a new era with all these Bethesda shooters, and I love them all. Like, I'm so glad they're making these.
1: Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to Rage 2, but it sounds of like I missed that at E3, but it, it sounds like I should have checked it out.
2: Yeah, I mean, how funny is that, though? Because the, the first Rage game was just kind of forgotten in time, and then they come back with Rage 2, and it actually looks awesome. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I, I really do want to play the Wolfenstein games. I I think I have even a code for the PS4 version of, of uh, Wolfenstein 2 lying around in my you know, email somewhere, which I want to go and find and play. But of course, I want to play the first game first. And I, I just, I have so much interest in playing these games in general, even though I'm not really a big fan of shooters. I do occasionally like just knocking the difficulty onto, like, the easiest setting, and it's running through a shooter campaign. But specifically, mm-hmm. having a, having two games where the whole point is to gun down Nazis... Kind of cathartic these days. So I'm glad that it's, it's, you know, kind of cathartic, especially these days. So I'm kind of glad that I waited to play these games until now because I feel like it's going to be a little more enjoyable than it might have have been otherwise.
2: Yeah, it's it's actually really cool about Wolfenstein is... um, it, it definitely is sort of, at times, a mindless shooter where you just sort of kill everybody. But then there's this sentimental story behind it mm-hmm. where it actually makes you, like, if you didn't already, it makes you hate the Nazis even more than <laughs> um, than you should normally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, it, 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 it's, it's great motivation, this story, to just keep going onwards. And uh, it, it, just, it lends itself so well to the progression of the game. And you actually end up really liking the characters, which I find is quite uncommon in war shooters. Like, generally in, like, Call of Duty... I don't care about any of these characters, but in here in Wolfenstein they're so three-dimensional and it's just brilliant. Right.
0: Nice. Well, I've been uh I've been playing a few different things kind of in my semi vacation time. I still cannot put down East 8, which is that's the hallmark of a great game because you know that when you want to keep playing something after the review's done, that's a great game. Cuz you know a lot of times you'll finish a review and you'll be like, "Okay, let's move on to the next thing," but I cannot put down East 8. It's so good and uh yeah, no, I'm I'm just I'm still playing that. Uh, I've been playing quite a bit of Musynx, which is this new rhythm game for the Switch, which I did a Game and Watch for, um, and it should be going up pretty soon if it hasn't already. And um, so there's that, and uh, still playing Just Shapes and Beats, which I do have a review uh, coming up for as well. Um, the game, of course, did come out about a month ago, but I kind of decided I was going to do a review for it anyway. But with E3 looming, I didn't want it to get buried. So I was like, you know what, mm-hmm. this game is pretty cool and pretty special to me, so I'd rather wait until after E3 and make sure it doesn't get absolutely just slaughtered by the E3 news and yeah. <laughs> Smash Ultimate and all that, so that should be coming and up you've soon. you've been
2: watching this game for a while now, right? Like yeah. You've been following this for years. Oh yeah,
0: no, for a few years, and uh, it was just something that really stood out to me. The concept was just so interesting and kind of just memorable, and uh, the game, suffice to say, has finally come out and uh, has mostly delivered on my expectations, so I'm looking Excellent. forward to getting that review up, yeah.
1: Yeah, it look it just looks so fun when you see it, and even now with the party mode. So if you have friends
0: over, you can actually play it without everyone getting frustrated about dying all the time. So. Exactly. Yeah. No, and it's great mm-hmm. for just having a soundtrack for your next, you know, for your next get together. Or yeah, I mean, I do love that the game does so many things to meet people where they are. There's like a casual difficulty for the story mode. If you're just if it's too hard for you, there's the party mode, like you said, where you just takes basically strips away all the skill based elements and just wants you to have fun. So. Uh, yeah, and that game really does absolutely shine in, like, a couch multiplayer context. Like, I love uh, I love introducing new friends and such to this game because their reactions when they see it and when they see certain songs and how it all comes together, they're like, this is so cool. And it's just great seeing people's reaction to it.
2: Yeah, it's kind of funny people think that, well, some people think we're in a Switch drought, but um, <laughs> this week in particular has so many games coming out. I mean, um, just some notable ones are Crash Bandicoot the Insane Trilogy, Wolfenstein, Inside, uh, Limbo, um, we had Luminous last week. There's, there's just so much coming out at the moment, and I don't really know how people can like, ignore all of that stuff, because a lot of it is just really, really high-quality games. Um, like, for instance, I started playing um, Crash Bandicoot yesterday, and I, I, I always l- kind of like these games, but um, I started off with the first one, and there are so many flaws in this game. Like, yeah. <laughs> Crash Two and Crash Three are fun; they, they're great games. But Crash One is just so inconsistent, and it feels like some of the levels were made in Mario Maker almost. Oh wow! Where you have like, it's like you have these floating platforms that are just sort of spor- sporadically put around everywhere, and it doesn't feel like there's much thought put into some of these levels. And it, it's funny to see how far they've they've come in terms of level design with these sequels. Um, but I know Ash was saying the other day that he um, he tried Crash Bandicoot before and he wasn't that into it. And yeah. I wonder if that's just because it was Crash 1.
1: That yeah. may be. What's funny about that, John, too, is that I think a couple of years ago I read a post postmortem from Naughty Dog about Crash 1. And they were saying how, in a way, what they did was better than Mario 64. And then did hear <laughs> comments. <laughs> 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 Wait a
0: minute. Uh, there's something like, slightly problematic with that statement. And when I say slightly, I mean incredibly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not even really comparable, Crash and Mario 64. Like Mario 64 looked at the side-scroller and just reimagined it completely, and then Crash just kind of turns it on its side. Like it, It's not even the same kind of... Um, it's not even the same kind of industri- ind- um, genre jump that Mario 64 was. Yeah. So I don't really know how they can state I think that, <laughs> that technology it
1: Technology-wise, was- maybe, they were going at like, yeah. some of their
2: textures, but it's not 3D, so... Exactly. I mean, um, yeah, Crash was very clever, in that the camera was positioned in a way that you couldn't really see fully ahead of you, so the level can sort of have smaller uh, areas on show at a time, which means you can squeeze in more polygons. So, yeah, it, it was a very pretty game. I'll give it that, <laughs> but uh, I don't know how you can really say that it's uh, more important than Mario 64.
0: It's No way. It's not even... I wouldn't say it's even half as important as Mario 64. How, now, That to be fair, though, I'm not saying that just because I'm not a Crash fan. I don't think a lot of games are half as important as Mario 64. I mean, that's just kind of... I guess Crash might get a little closer than some, but there's just... You can't even compare the two. There's You can't even talk about them in the same breath, really.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I suppose he he's important in that he was kind of... Um, for a while, he was sort of PlayStation's mascot. Right. And, and it's, it's actually quite cool looking back at the old commercials. You see sort of Crash standing outside Nintendo's HQ. <laughs> boy. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, Crash hasn't really stood the test of time as well as Mario 64, I don't think. I mean, the games are still fun. Yeah. But you can, you can still play Mario 64 today and have a blast with that. And uh, even in the era of Mario Odyssey, I I still think Mario sixty four is just so influential and so important. Um, and just moving in that game's fun, like yeah. just yeah. running around the castle grounds is just a ball. That's, it that's just brilliant. feels right.
0: Yeah. No, I, I still yeah. do want to go back and play. I like I would like to check out the Insane Trilogy and uh, you know check out two and three specifically because I know that obviously enough people love these games that there's something there. But I played Crash back when it came out, like back in the PS one days, and I played it again since then, and I played it again, again, in Uncharted 4, and every time I'm just like, you know, I don't really get what, what it is that people see in this game, but again, you guys have said 2 and 3 are much more polished, and, and to be fair, I mean, one could go in and say the same thing about Mega Man, right, and you say you, you have someone play Mega Man 1, and I could reasonably see someone saying, well, what's the big deal, because it's, you know, 1 was before the series really found its footing, but then when you go play 2 mm-hmm. and 3, it's like, okay, now I get what's going on here, so I totally understand that.
2: Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah,
0: especially if they went to the Iceman level with those <laughs> uh, disappearing blocks. Yeah, I- exactly. <laughs> but uh, I'm still I'm still mourning a little bit because uh, I I think a few fans know that I was uh, going to review Octopath Traveler, but then uh, with the way the way my travel has kind of panned out this summer, I had to make the hard decision to let Derek take it instead. So he's going to review Octopath, and I'm still still mourning the loss because I I know he's playing it right now, and I'm so excited for it but i i figured you know what i got this all these you know games coming out all the time and i've got like what Mega Man x legacy collection one and two coming out and sonic mania plus so there will be plenty of reviews and i think i had to decide to give one of the big ones up to derek because i'm just like it'll be too busy like literally there the the preview i think would have been uh do while i'm flying and i'm like okay this is just Mm -hmm. nah this is cutting things too close
1: yeah, if it's also I think because you're only going to three places, maybe you went in eight different directions, you could have had it covered. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nicely done, as you should it. It'd be there.
2: kind of nice to take your time with it though. Th- like, that's the other thing. This is thing the kind too. of RPG you can just sort of play like a chapter a night and just sort of keep going at your own leisure.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing too, is because like I knew that with the, the my travel making things even more hectic, even if I had been able to do it, and maybe I could have even if so, I would have been absolutely just tearing through that game and not really savouring it. Like I feel like you know that kind of, I feel like I really want to, and this is one of my most anticipated games of the year. So, kind of what you're saying, silver lining is I can at least enjoy it and kind of savor it at my own pace, and not just have to absolutely mm-hmm. tear through it.
2: Yeah, when I um played the the first demo, I think Primrose's chapter was probably it's probably the most I've enjoyed a turn-based RPG since like Final Fantasy IX. Like I, I was floored by that. It's just such a great story, really good. Such a great combat system, and the world just feels amazing.
0: And I, I just, I can't, uh, yeah, because I played Primrose's chapter as well as well as Olberic's chapter, and and he's just fine too. But Primrose's, especially, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be too shocked because Bravely Default and Bravely Second got pretty dark as well. But I was pretty taken aback by just how raw and just how dark Primrose's story gets, and also just some of the some of the lines, like the like the English lines that made it through, mm-hmm. like, and and I know yeah. you know exactly <laughs> which one I'm talking about, John exactly yeah yeah. (laughs) and i'm just like i can't believe that made it through but i I mean i love that it did
2: (laughs) how do you guys feel about some people um not seeing the value in octopath traveler because it's it looks like a 2d game
0: i feel the (laughs) same way about those people as i do about the people who are those are the same people i'm pretty sure who are saying that the switch is in the middle of a drought because i feel like those are the same people (laughs) who for whom indie games are somehow a genre which indie is not a genre, mm-hmm. it never has been, and if you look at indie games as a genre, you're doing it wrong. Objectively, I'm not even going to try to do my usual thing and meet you halfway in the middle and be like, oh, well, you know, different people feel different ways. No, if you look at indie games as a genre <laughs> and that, that are just not worth your time because they're not quote-unquote real games AAA. or triple-A games or big-budget mm-hmm. games, you're doing it wrong. And that's how I feel about yeah. those people
2: too, John. Yeah, I, I don't get it at all. I mean, yeah. Octopath Traveler has so... Like, you can see the production behind it. I mean, it, Totally, it has- it's fully voice acted it's um, it 's built in Unreal Engine Four, so the actual worlds are more than just 2 d sprites so this is this is fully imagined, and the art style hasn't really been done before it's great to see the world come to life in this this new format and I kind of want to see older square RPGs remade in this style absolutely i'd love to see Final Fantasy Six like this
0: yeah, I mean this is essentially Final Fantasy Six with you know a high defi- high definition take on that like the the sprite style is very much FF6 and Chrono Trigger specifically. And I mean I just love that we're seeing what is essentially, yeah, an HD Final Fantasy 6 with kind of 3D-ish environments, but also kind of diorama-esque. It's it's really striking and I don't understand people who are like, "Oh, it doesn't look like it's, you know, worth $60." What what looks like it's worth $60? I could tell you what also doesn't look like it's worth $60, <laughs> yeah. uncharted 4, because it looks like it's worth way more. So like what does that even mean? Right.
1: Yep. Yeah, and also, though, I don't think the style will be a one-and-done, but if Octopath Traveler does well, then I think they're going to be less likely to apply that style to remakes of other games and just save it for like a sequel of Octopath
0: Traveler. It right, would that makes sense. Well, I hope that before there's a sequel, I, I what I really hope happens is after Octopath, they're doing Bravely 3rd, because I need Bravely 3rd. Bravely 2nd was one of my favorite games ever, really, uh, but it was definitely my game of the year in 2016, and I just I still think about it constantly. And the uh, the it
2: feels like they keep teasing it as well it feels on like their they Twitter do. pages. They keep they keep bringing back the characters for like just little um like little new pieces of art of them. Exactly. And, yeah, it just feels like they're they're sort of hinting towards a third one coming.
0: Well, and I feel like Gravely Second. I think I remember it sold pretty well. I don't know if it sold as well as the first game, but I think it did well for itself. And I mean, the game clearly ends off on a major cliffhanger, so they've mm-hmm. got to have something coming. And I, and the Switch would be perfect for it.
2: I, I just fear if there is a third game like what if they go mobile? No. <laughs> yeah, I know, well there sell. already is a Bravely That's mobile game. <laughs>
0: I think what was it called? Like Fairy I don't know There, there's, there oh, is a, a Bravely yeah. mobile game though I haven't heard much about it I don't know if it's out and it just didn't do that well or if it's run its course or if it's, it, it's still upcoming but I can't remember what it was called but there is definitely a Bravely mobile game announced after Bravely 2nd.
2: Yeah. I, I think Bravely 2nd actually It um, well the first game did extraordinarily well yeah. like, it broke a million. Um, I think second didn't do as well, but it still did well enough yeah um but yeah i I'm, I'm totally with you like i i want uh, yeah this, this this um this this new era of square RPGs on both 3 ds and switch just feels amazing yeah and it 's crazy to think three d s didn't really have a final fantasy other than explorers and theater rhythm um but Bravely default completely filled that void, and I really wanted it to return.
0: Yeah, no, and I, and I think uh, for, for people who didn't like it, and I can totally get, you know, there is that one part about Bravely Default's story that, in my opinion, really, and I think most people's opinion, really sucks. And I, I think mm-hmm. that for those people who didn't like it, they, that might have soured them on Bravely Second, which is a shame because Second takes that kind of thing that, that I think Default fumbled. And actually make something really cool out of it. actually like lands the plot twist in a second. Say la vie. But either way, it's great that we're getting more games like this from that team. Again, with Octopath coming, and you know, I, I think it's likely that Octopath will do well enough for them to keep making more games in that style. So, yeah, yeah I love that. And Square have yeah.
2: just put together a department to um, specifically make Switch games. So I guess we're only likely to get more of this stuff.
0: Yeah. So I yes. know it's great to see. Yeah.
1: I was gonna say as long as it doesn't close down as quickly as um that company uh Sakurai put together. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh
0: god, yeah, that that didn't last very long, did it? No. <laughs> god, it was actually that I can I don't remember the name of it, and it was so short lived I completely forgot.
1: Yeah, it's like one one and done, but it's like maybe he had to do some paperwork and didn't like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, right. <laughs> well, if I can just have Quick 30 seconds, but uh, for what I played last week was uh, finally getting back to playing some Carpoon, uh, nice. the game I was working on. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> and it turned out to get back into it after all that E3 stuff, I chose what might have been the hardest task that I was putting off for a long time to draw the truck in, like with nine different sprites so it can rotate in a circle. Um, but fortunately, to put that into the game was super easy, and now I can work on more fun stuff than just drawing the same thing at different angles.
2: Mm-hmm. Nice. Seeing the um, the car rotating gave me heavy Stunt Race, Stunt Race FX vibes. <laughs> I see you have an
0: eye for details. <laughs> I cannot get away from discussion about that game between Andre and I don't know what it is. Stunt Race FX will not leave my life.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, Ash. We'll uh, we'll play that at the streaming pod for you during packs.
0: Oh, perfect! Thank you. I mean, as long hey, look, I, I am down for that as long as we can also stream Uniracers because that game is awesome. And I will like I I tweet made a tweet about this. I'm like, look, I give Andre a hard time about his love for Stunt Race FX. I'll never understand it, but I do get it from the from the sense that they're you know it's a 16 bit racing game that he loves. It's never coming back, and for me, that's Uniracers.
1: Yeah. So well, let's let's do it. You know, head to head comparison and then uh whoever voices judge hand can uh, deliver a verdict but i guess with help from patrons or live watchers
0: (laughs) i think we need to make the case for uniracer or yeah maybe even a stunt race fx car i mean i i don't well there is no case to be made i think we should make the case against a stunt race fx car excuse me about my language there but uh yeah I, i i do think it would be fun to do something with those games i i mean i know they can't use uniracers because of the whole pixar thing you know they sued them i get it but I can just see in my mind's eye, I can see a little Uniracer Assist Trophy just kind of, you know, flitting around the stage in Smash Ultimate and just, you know, done in that same kind of, like, photorealistic style, and it would just be so cool.
1: Now, would you have, like, a bunch of lines for tracks just drawn in the screen all of a sudden, and then like, whoa, gotta get out of the way of these, and the Uniracers come by? You
0: know, maybe, actually. That would be cool. I was thinking just of something like, yeah, like a little Uniracer bounding around the stage and, like, you know, hopping around, but no, that would actually be even cooler, having, like, the colored stripes kind of come in, come in from the sides and just have, uniracers coming, you know, like across the screen. That would be really cool. So see, this is proof yeah. positive that Socrates needs to hire you, Tom. Done. <laughs> Done. Uh, yeah. You
1: know, he loves it when people uh, tell him about how he can't do his job and stuff. Oh, or totally. Say how they can do it better. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, cool. Shall we move on to the uh, news for this week?
1: suppose so. I think so.
0: All right. We got a smattering of, uh, no, no major topics this, this week, but a smattering of minor ones. And we'll go ahead and start with, uh, you know, let's just start big. And this is the one that I just can't quite wrap my head around. Jim Carrey is set to play <laughs> Dr. Robotnik in the upcoming <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog feature film. I I don't even know what to make of this, so I'm going to let you guys start start this one off.
2: I am in. Me too. Like, <laughs> everything about this movie is ticking all the right boxes. Like having Sonic being friends with a cop? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> having Jim Carrey play Robotnik? Yeah, why not? This is the kind of movie where everyone's going to go like, hey, this looks really dumb. And then it's will like a little pause and they just go, want to go see it? Like, it's just going to be such an awesome uh, movie for all the wrong reasons. And maybe this will be like our gen- this generation's um, Mario Brothers movie. Uh, and I hope it is I hope this is awful and I'm going to I'm going to love it regardless of how it is
1: first I was like what? and like Robotnik is fat but then I thought oh wait with the Grinch Jim Carrey kind of had a fat suit already so it could be the same sort of thing and it just be he'll be all bouncing around and stuff and being weird Um, Mm -hmm. so maybe it it will actually work (laughs)
0: And I mean, the more I read about this, is it like, I mean, I'm looking at the article now and he's, yeah, like, carries he's negotiating to play uh, Eggman opposite James Marsden as Sonic, which I'd forgotten about, by the way. And I'm just, when you think about this, it's like, wait, so we got James Marsden as Sonic and Jim Carrey as Eggman. Like, this is the, this could be the makings of something groundbreakingly terrible, but in the best possible way.
2: It's going to be super weird to hear other characters portraying these, I'm sorry, other, other actors portraying these characters. Right. Um since, like, Sonic Colors, we've had... So- we've had, um... Uh, What's the actor Roger Craig Smith playing Sonic. And since... Is it Shadow the Hedgehog? We've had uh, Mike Pollock playing Eggman. So, it's going to be super strange to hear a different cast for the first time in, like, a decade.
0: It is. Especially because Mike Pollock, I mean, he is Eggman. I mean, I, I mean I, and b- uh, before that, I think it was Dean Bristow who did his voice, and they both were fantastic. And, or, they both are, were and are. And, I mean... I see. It is going to be weird seeing somebody else, especially Jim Carrey, because again, when I see Jim Carrey, he's he's thin and wiry and tall. He's doesn't strike me as an Eggman type, so I don't know what they're going to make him look like. But I'm really looking forward to seeing this.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking like Tweedledee and Tweedledum type fat suits. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess <laughs> you no have to have the what, skinny legs, right? So you can't be fat in, in real life and have skinny
0: legs. So. <laughs> I mean, I guess no matter what. I, I mean. It's guaranteed to be a good time, right? Because whether it's actually somehow turns out to be great, great. But if not, and it turns out to be bad, I mean, it's still a Sonic movie with Jim as Robotnik. And we've got a, you know, basically a CG Sonic making friends with, like, real-life human cops, like you were saying, John. So either way, there's I feel like there's no way this is not at least going to be entertaining, whether that's actually in a legitimate way or just a what-the-hell-happened way.
2: So is he being referred to as Robotnik officially, or is that just how um, this this site is reporting? It? I'm
0: not quite sure. That's what that's how the Independent is uh, reporting is as uh, Doctor Ivo Robotnik. So I don't know if they're going to stick with that name or if that's just what you know is what is what the Independent's using.
2: <laughs> I think Robotnik probably lends itself better to um, to cinema. Probably. Whereas, you know, but he's been Eggman for so long now; yeah. it's, it's just kind of weird to change it.
0: I guess it depends on. I guess maybe the, sl- the the tone they're taking with the story. I mean, I guess robot if they're if trying to make Robotnik seem like a dastardly, you know, vicious, vicious villain, then maybe Robotnik sounds a little better than Eggman because Eggman just kind of sounds goofy. Yeah. So that could be. But either way, I just uh, I'm hoping uh, you said uh, that this generation Super Mario Brothers movie. I'm gonna go take that a step further. I hope that that this is this generation Street Fighter. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want this to be. <laughs> Uh, too bad,
2: Paul Julia
0: isn't around anymore. Uh, right, I know. All right, well, so on Paul, to uh, Paul Rudd
2: isn't playing the cop anymore either, is he? I think they they've given the role to someone else.
0: I don't know. Have they?
2: I think so. I think they they announced someone else as as the cop, which is a shame because I think Paul Rudd would, would have been really good for yeah, this. Yeah, I role.
0: remember Paul Rudd was in talks, but maybe yeah, I, I, feel, I remember he was in talks, but I don't know why those fell through or or if they've gotten someone else now.
2: Mm-hmm. He could have been busy with the Avengers, I guess. Right. Yeah, well, that's maybe. probably yeah.
0: Well, and, and the what Ant Man and the Wasp as well,
1: right? Yeah, maybe he heard that Sonic kisses a real girl, and then he, he's like, "No, I'm not in it."
0: <laughs> that that could very well be it. Yeah. Which now, hopefully, we well, no, hope not. Hopefully, but imagine if we got another moment like that in this upcoming movie. I mean, I feel like Sega's learned I from hope that, there but is.
2: <laughs>
0: I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like Sega's learned from that, but you never really know with them, so...
2: It'd be disappointing if there isn't something like that in this movie. Right.
0: Something just (laughs) uh, absolutely off the ball, like, what are we... Yeah, totally. Well, um, moving on to some unilaterally good news, especially for you, Tom, Uh, the Nintendo Switch has gotten a price drop in Canada, and it's now down to $379.99, which is... I mean, that's good news. I say that's good news, and it is, but speaking as an American, oof, that's still... That's that's still more than I feel like it should be, but I know everything in Canada is just a little more expensive.
1: Is it three hundred in the states?
0: Yeah, it's three hundred. Yeah,
1: I was surprised by this because I checked the exchange rate and it's actually kind of gone up a little bit higher. Um, so they're just doing that out of compassion, I guess, <laughs> to drive sales. It's not because of the uh, value of the Canadian dollar. That is for sure.
0: Right. Yeah. So I, maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's just kind of like a you know trying to. To drive sales in Canada and and just kind of throw a bone to people who are like this is way too expensive for the Canadian dollar yeah. and yeah it'll be interesting interesting to see if that helps drive sales but uh, it still feels like it's I mean obviously Nintendo has to sell it for what it's worth but it still feels like so much yeah it really does
1: it's weird how that is like just a few years ago the Canadian dollar was almost um, at the value of the U- the U S dollar even for a little bit it was I think ten cents more at one point, but it's basically, they probably look at it how a game costs $80 in Canada, so if they sell a Switch at $20 less, and they sell maybe two games instead, well, right there you're kind of making up that difference.
2: Yeah. That's true. Reggie actually said recently that Canada is a better market for The Legend of Zelda than America, which is I what? found quite interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, apparently Canadians, um, they, they just love Zelda. Well, it's the great outdoors here, John. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> but that's actually really interesting. I I don't I didn't know. Yeah, I don't know why that would be, but that's that's interesting to hear.
1: Uh, does that mean Canadians just hate Mario? You know, that sort of like Brooklyn plumber? Or <laughs> yeah, I don't know what
0: that's about, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh most of Canada is within a hundred miles of the border, so the rest of it is just wilderness <laughs> when you see it on the map. But yeah, yeah, maybe.
0: Well, um, well, hopefully this helps you know drive some sales in Canada, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but speaking of uh, driving some sales, the NES Classic is back on U.S. store shelves as of yesterday, June 29th, and it's expected to remain in stock throughout the end of the year along with the SNES Classic. And uh, I've looked into this a little bit, and the reports I've heard are that, yeah, you can go, I'm of course, not in the U.S. right now, but you can go in many stores and, and find unsold stock of NES Classics, which is... Kind of crazy,
2: yeah. I mean, I kind of, I kind of thought they were just done with this. These seemed like temporary items, just for um, the holiday holiday period, because the NES classic came out in the time where the Wii U was sort of faltering, and the Switch hadn't come out yet. Right. So yeah, it felt like they they'd had it there for a limited time, just sort of fill that holiday gap. Um, so I never really thought they would come back, and then we had that that uh, that limited edition Famicom recently. Um, So it seems like they are sort of bringing back the the classic systems every couple of months, which is strange, Um, but I'm all for it. You know, these sold really well. There's a lot of value in them, and they're collector's items too. So for more people to get their hands on them, the better.
1: Yeah. You know, good on Nintendo for sort of delivering on saying what they they said late last year, where the NES Classic was going to come back. It's just, you know, June now and... I think saying that it's going to be around for the end of the year helps make it so people don't just go crazy immediately trying to track it down. Plus being the start of summer, so people aren't necessarily looking to go shopping right now.
2: One question I'm kind of thinking, though, is um, if they keep bringing back the NES Classic and the Super Nintendo Classic, are they just going to position these... I mean, we've talked about this a lot already, but are they going to position these just as virtual console replacements? I mean, these don't seem to be temporary items anymore. They keep bringing them back. Are these going to be the sole places to play older games? Uh, It's kind of starting
0: to feel that way. Like, I mean, it's hard to say for sure, of course, but it does really feel like Nintendo wants people to play classic games on these systems. Like, it, it does seem like they're positioning these, you know, NES and SNES Classic, these kind of like... Many consoles as the way that Nintendo wants you to access their their retro library, which I'm okay. I mean, I sure, I guess it makes sense from a business pillar standpoint to have that separate pillar, but it sucks for us who just want to have all these games on our Switch. Right. Well, I
1: disagree with it too because they aren't upgradable. I mean, if you could download more games on them, great. But it's it's that's yeah, bad but- for the environment. And it's bad for my wallet, so...
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's a really good way to put it. I mean, and I guess, but on the, other, on the other hand, for people who do want these consoles, I think, you know, last year when when Nintendo so thoroughly bungled the release of the NES Classic, I think none of us took them seriously when they were like, oh, yeah, but, you know, don't worry, we're gonna get them back on store shelves, and, you know, we're, we're gonna make this right. I don't think anyone really believed that they would, but as you guys said, they really have actually come through, and, and these things seem like they're gonna be widely available through the end of the year, so... Hopefully, not too many people out there paid ridiculous scalped prices for these because they are seemingly fairly widely available for now.
2: Very similar to the Amiibo situation, where they came out and you could hardly get your hands on them, and now they're all sort of they've plummeted in value now. Yeah, it's so like when you look at the the villager Amiibo that used to go for like sixty pounds to a hundred pounds. Whereas now, I think it goes for, like, 10 or 15.
0: Oh, yeah. And, like, I remember when the... Well, Pit used to be one of the, like, absolute hardest to find Amiibo. And then, like, I, I went into Target, like, two weeks ago and found just Pit. Just, you know, a ton of them just hanging out there. So mm-hmm. it, it took a while, but it does seem like, you know, the, the supply is finally caught up with demand on every Amiibo. And there is definitely a tipping point there. Because I remember when uh, Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival came out and they were releasing all the Animal Crossing series Amiibo. Those things were uh, marked down on Amazon like within weeks or or even like I think two weeks of release like you could get them for a slight markdown on Amazon even like two or three weeks after they came out
2: yeah 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 and I'm, I'm always seeing the amiibo festival bundle um go for like five to ten pounds yeah. and as the game and uh I think it's is it two amiibos with it as well I think it's two yeah um so that's practically been given away, and I, I know I know it's a, I know it's Amiibo Festival, but uh, still, like to have two Amiibo in there, it, it feels like the value of the Animal Crossing series wasn't quite what they expected it to be. Just
1: hold out for yeah. two to five pounds, John. Yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what
2: I'm waiting for. Well,
1: almost to get around this, they could have a limited edition launch of different Amiibo or let's say products, and then after like have that limited supply, and then after come back with a. Like, let's say if it was NES Classic, you know, maybe bundle in an extra game or some special controller, then after come out with the mass market one. And that could sort of serve the collector's market and a general audience.
0: No, I mean, and I know for myself personally, I mean, I, I the Amiibo fever has definitely died down for me because I was able to get pretty much every Smash character I wanted. But they keep announcing very specific ones. Like, I keep saying I'm done, and I do feel like I'm done buying Amiibo, but they keep announcing very specific ones where i like, well, I have to buy those. Like the... Uh the, the triple set for Shovel Knight, Plague Knight and uh King Knight and Spectre Knight. I gotta get those. Mm-hmm. And uh and then of course there's this new Mega Man Amiibo coming, which I don't think anybody expected for Mega Man Eleven, and I gotta get that. So they keep they keep hitting me right where they know it's good because like I I'm done buying amiibo. I am so done, but I'm also not because they keep having these specific ones that I have to get.
2: Yeah, I'm so in for that Solar Amiibo um, for Dark Souls. And I think people who don't even own the Switch, they they don't even own a Switch console. I'm pretty sure they're in for the Solar Amiibo. If you (laughs) have Dark Souls on PS4, um, why not just have some official merchandise for Dark Souls? Right. So yeah, I cannot wait for that.
0: (laughs) Well, we just got done talking about the NES and SNES Classic uh, being back on store shelves, which leads me to our next news topic, which is that Nintendo has applied for GameCube trademarks in Japan. And the reason I say... Uh, it led me to that. It's not that anything is anywhere near confirmed, but it is interesting that they're, you know, focusing on these GameCube trademarks, and that could possibly point to maybe a GameCube Mini or something of that ilk, some sort of GameCube mm-hmm. game replacement, you know, or,
2: or solution to ground things a little bit and to lower expectations. I suppose this could be for the new GameCube controller for Smash. Right. So yeah, this this could be, you know, a GameCube Classic or GameCube Virtual Console or something like that. But yeah, there's also the chance that it's something as small as the GameCube adapter or the GameCube controller. But I think they also um, did a trademark for Game Boy... Game Boy Pocket, I think it might have been, or Game Boy Color. So that's interesting, too.
0: Right, and they also filed some trademarks for the N64 in May. So yeah. that's also kind of interesting in its own separate way. I mean, because I think most of us would assume that if this does have to do with a, with a Mini, like a GameCube Mini, which I don't think any of us do think that, like... You, like you just said, John, lower your expectations because there's no reason to think that this means that at all. It could, but I think most of us think that the N64 Mini would naturally come first. So that would point to this GameCube trademark not being related because that would be a really... I mean, a GameCube Mini would have to be really far off.
2: And I, I'm kind of under the impression that if Nintendo are going to bring GameCube games to Switch, they're probably going to do it, like remaster them all individually, uh-huh. kind of like Twilight Princess HD or Wind Waker HD. Right. Um, I, I'm fully expecting the Prime Trilogy to come over, too. So, yeah, I don't I don't really see them doing GameCube Virtual Console, and I, I'm just kind of under the impression that they're going to remake all these games.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, and I, I think it's more likely that this has to do either with the new Smash controllers coming out, or perhaps something completely unrelated. But, but yeah, my, my guess is that it has nothing to do with a GameCube retro console, How is as nice as that would be. But, uh, alright, well, moving on to our last bit of Nintendo news today, uh, and this is actually quite exciting. Uh, Ubisoft CEO says there will be more surprise Nintendo collaborations, which, you know, water's wet, the sky's blue, and all that too, but still really cool to hear that there's officially more coming. We just don't know what it is.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm so pumped for this, too, because the Donkey Kong DLC for Mario Plus Rabbids felt so good. Like, it wasn't just an expansion of that game, they completely made a new world. And they integrated Donkey Kong so well into that universe, and uh, obviously we have um, Fox in Starlink as well. So yeah, I, I can't wait to see what more they have. I kind of want more um, more rabbits crossovers but at the same time. Um, something as left uh, like out of nowhere as Star Fox in Starlink would be incredible. So the sky's the limit, really. Yeah. And um, this isn't even the first of it. We had um, Mario and Luigi costumes in Rayman Legends, so it feels like this collaboration's been years in the making now.
0: Right. Captain no, re- Toad, yeah.
1: Beyond Good and Evil 2.
2: <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it, not only it does it
0: feel like it's, it's you know, meant to happen going forward, but the, I don't know, I mean, I didn't play a whole a ton of Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Battle just because I just didn't have time to get around to it, but what little I played, there is so much genuine charm and genuine passion. You could tell that, that the developers at Ubisoft have so much genuine passion for the Mario universe in this game and the characters and the way they're represented is just so wonderful. And it's mm-hmm. clear to me that Ubisoft has a lot of respect for Nintendo's characters and worlds and, and approach to video game design. So that just excites me in terms of, I mean, you, you even got echoes of that in the Star, Star Fox uh, trailer for the Switch version of Starlink, where, you know, you had that, that little Star Fox SNES chatter, and it was just done in a very loving way to the original Star Fox. And you can tell that Ubisoft gets it. And I think that, more than anything, is what makes the the, you know... Not an even possibility. The fact that there are more Nintendo-Ubisoft collaborations coming, that much more exciting.
2: I actually have one dream. Um, so Ubisoft made an exclusive Assassin's Creed for Vita with Assassin's Creed Liberation. And I don't see uh, Origins or um, or Odyssey coming to Switch because they're quite ambitious titles. Right. Um, but one thing I would like is for them to make an exclusive Assassin's Creed for Switch and use Nintendo property. And that property I want them to use is Zelda. And have like Sheikah Assassins nice. and make it take place like in the Ocarina of Time kind of timeline. Um, I just think that could be a really interesting story and sort of delve further into the Sheikah lore, which is quite mysterious in Zelda still. Um, that and just have Assassin's Creed on a Nintendo platform Cause it's been a while. I think the last one was on Wii U and that ended quite early. I think maybe, was it Black Flag was the last one on Wii U? I, believe I know Black so.
1: Flag was out in it because uh, I remember picking it up for about $10. <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice no I actually I do love that idea John I think that sounds great and also even if it couldn't happen in the Ocarina of Time uh, Ocarina of Time timeline I could also see this working as an expansion or kind of a semi-sequel to Breath of the Wild because so much of that game's story you only hear about you only hear about everything that happened 100 years ago and, and before that and that was when you know the Sheikah were were at the height of what they were doing for the Hyrule and you already have this open world to explore because Breath of the Wild has established that. So that would be really cool, having, like, an Assassin's Creed take on Breath of the Wild's world where you play as Sheikah and and kind of get a different, I guess, view of the events that led up to Breath of the Wild. That that could work.
2: I could even have, like... um... Further expansion of the Yuga-, Yuga Clan as well, which was also quite mysterious in Breath of the Wild. Right. Like all we really know is that they don't like bananas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. That cool actually, that's a
0: really that could be a really cool collaboration. It, it would make. I, I feel like that's organic in the way that it makes sense, kind of like Star Fox and Starlink. Like it's not something that feels like it's forced. But as a counterpoint to that, Mario and Rabbids certainly, when it was first, you know, not announced because it was leaked before that, but when people realized it was a real thing. It felt forced, you know, like no one would thought would think Mario and rabbits go together, especially in a real-time strategy game on paper. But then, you know, Ubisoft it, it delivered, and it actually did feel like it was meant to be all along. So, they have proven that they can that they can take a collaboration that feels like it shouldn't make sense and make it feel organic.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and if you did something like mission-based and had it so it as Sheikah, and they end up at the shrine at the end of each miss. Uh, mission and just kind of wait there for the future that that would be a neat take in it i think
0: yeah no i, I completely agree there they're, and that's what's so exciting is that really the sky is the limit in terms of what they could possibly do and there are so many other nintendo franchises we haven't even talked about that could be right for a collaboration with ubisoft so it'll be interesting to see what they do and, and what they're talking about and i have a feeling we could hear about what's next maybe within you know but definitely by e3 next year Alright, well then we will go ahead and move on to I have a couple of uh, minor news bits non-Nintendo news bits to cover here Um, The first one, this is just odd to me Uh, The system requirements for the upcoming PC version of Shinmu 3 have been made available and they're not all that aggressive but you do need 100 gigabytes of free space which is... Jesus What?! Like, How why?
1: This uh, was it on Dreamcast, though? I mean, you gotta think of that.
2: That's true. Three discs, and then you have the passport disc, too. Yeah. So, four discs, technically.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's true. I mean, and, and I guess, obviously, with such a detailed world and, and, you know, such a story-heavy game, I guess that makes sense. But by today's standards, 100 gigs seems like a lot. And, I mean, it's not as though the graph. you know, the, like the, the, sc- the screenshots we've seen so far, it's not as though the game looks like it's going to look incredible and at least be like a graphical showcase necessarily so it's man 100 gigs is a lot
2: yeah i i don't really know how they got there i mean yeah. um, there are other pc games that are that big like Gears of War 4 for some reason is 100 gigs and wow. i don't know i don't know how they get to that amount i mean Gears 4 is also an Unreal Engine 4 game right. much like Shenmue 3 so I guess it might be to do with the engine, but then again, we have so many other Unreal Engine Four games which are nowhere near that size. So right. <laughs> who really knows?
1: Weird thing about Gears uh, Four when I was downloading it, it's like it was saying it needs 128 gigs of space, but then I did not like it said it was ready to go, and it definitely did not download that much. So uh, hmm. I don't know if that's like sometimes, let's say Rage back in the day, that was all textures that made it huge. Maybe Shenmue. Has a bunch of cutscenes, maybe it has a bunch of huge high resolution textures, or they're just not optimizing it any way whatsoever to get it out the door because it's already delayed. It's hard to say.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. If there, if there are optimization issues here, and of course, I mean, you know, these, these could change all the way up to release, and we don't even know when that release is yet because it was just recently delayed again. So, you know, they have plenty of time to, you know, these specs could change, the, the required storage space could change, but. The fact that they're coming in at 100 gigabytes at all, even now, is just kind of like, wow, that's a lot of space.
2: Yeah, especially on PS4, where there's going to be a physical Oof. version. You know, Blu- Blu-rays, um, I think dual-layer Blu-rays are 50 gigabytes. Right. So there's going to be a required download if it's 100 gigs on PS4 as well.
0: Which you know people are going to get all up in arms about and get really upset. Yeah,
2: but, <laughs> that's just how it works. Yeah,
0: but I guess, you know, if, if uh, you know, Yu Suzuki has you know the vision of this story that he wants to deliver and it requires that much space well then that's what you got to do i guess
1: here here's one maybe it includes videos of the first two games for those who missed out on oh. the <laughs> refresher good so point. that that could be like half the space right there
2: that's true actually good that could point. be I mean, like yeah shinmu 2 on xbox did that yeah. so that'd be interesting
0: yeah i could i could see shinmu 1 and 2 like story digests easily taking up a lot of space that's a good point tom
2: Though I, I don't know how how, many, how much of the rights do they have here. I mean, obviously, obviously they, they have the Shenmue IP, but do, can they use Shenmue One and Two in this? Because don't Sega own those, and they have their own compilation coming out.
0: That's a good point, actually. You know, maybe that's, they yeah. work going a deal. Yeah, that's they could've got a deal yeah. behind the scenes. That's true. Like Bayonetta, yeah, with, uh, Sega Nintendo. Well, I guess uh, hopefully we'll find out soon because it's kind of I don't know. Shenmue Three is starting to feel like it's in development hell which is kind of funny to say because of course people have been waiting for it for so long already until it was announced but now that it's been announced and they keep announcing delays and i don't know i'm, I'm starting to get kind of a bad feeling about it but I'm, I'm hoping that that's just me i mean i i was kind of getting that feeling about bloodstained as well but but by all accounts derek played the uh, the pc demo for his game and watch recently and he said he loved it so hopefully it's just my overactive fear i guess
1: We just need a trailer where it's Mega64 going around dressed as uh, the main character. And it's like, excuse me. Yes. Have
0: you seen my game? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Did you see a black car on that day full of sailors? I'm looking for some sailors. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, I'll never forget that Mega64 video. That was great. Oh, man. Well, uh, wrapping things up for the news section this week. This is kind of a little one that I wanted to cover for myself, but... uh, Mega Man fans will know that uh when Mega Man X5 was originally released, the western version uh had the Maverick names changed to uh be named after Guns N' Roses band members. So you'd have like a Maverick like Spike Rose Red became Axel the Red and like uh Crescent Grizzly became Grizzly Slash and and then the most infamous one, Tidal Whale became Duff McWhalen, which oh my god. So Uh, I'm very happy to report that it has recently come out that in uh, the upcoming Mega Man X Legacy Collection 2, Capcom has walked that back, actually, and uh, has gone in and changed the X5 game data to actually have the correct original Maverick names, which is not something I have to say I was expecting.
2: So was this for legal reasons, or were they just trying to, you know, make it more right?
0: Well, they I, they say that it's because uh, they, they wanted to... Well, I, actually, I can just basically read the, uh, the quote from a Capcom spokesperson here, but it's not for legal reasons. Basically, a Capcom spokesperson says, In our mission to make these collections an authentic Mega Man X experience, we took the opportunity to better align the naming of the Mega Man X5 Mavericks across all regions, for better narrative cohesion across the series, making the names more aligned with the original Japanese version release. So... That's. It seems like they just kind of wanted to make you know do right by the fans all these years later. However, that could also just be a convenient PR cover for yes, you know, legal reasons.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's very uncommon that they go back and actually change code in um in collections like this. Exactly, so that, it's very cool to see it happen. And it's, it's but, yeah, you know, I I I do kind of feel like this is a front um just to get over some legality. Uh, issues
0: well i'm kind of thinking that too because i um as i kind of tweeted out when i was playing Mega Man x legacy collection one and two at e3 recently they haven't touched the the english script for Mega Man x6 which is notoriously awful and that it just it's basically mm-hmm. a, like a babblefish translation it's literally like they just babblefished it and just copy pasted that into the game because the it's such a bad english script and they haven't touched it so the fact that they can you know have a quote about this, about, you know, going back and changing the X5 Mavericks to make for a better narrative experience for fans. Okay, that's great, but you know what would also make for a better narrative experience? Actually having a decent <laughs> translation of X6's scripts. So I hear I, I hear you, John. I feel like this could just be convenient cover for getting around some legal issues. Yeah.
2: Yeah, especially now you say that about um, X X that makes a lot of sense. Right.
0: <laughs> However, either way, the the net result, in my opinion, is positive. Uh, the, the whole Guns N' Roses thing is very divisive among fans. Personally, I'm very much on the side that hated them, and I'm really glad to see these original Maverick names restored. And it's actually kind of a closing a personal loop for me because I was also the editor on Udon's uh, Mega Man various Mega Man anniversary art books, and one of the things I made sure to do for Mega Man 25 and the uh, the classic series art book. Was to actually have the original Maverick names for, or sorry, for the X art book, uh, was to actually have the original X5 Maverick names alongside the Guns N' Roses names. Because I'm like, no, that's the original names. We have to have them in there. <laughs> so this is kind of like closing a nice loop for me personally as well. Yeah.
1: I, uh-huh. I still say that uh, Ash traveled back in time and somehow uh-huh. got his names in the Udon books that I bought uh, just so he could point that out at one point when I met him. That, that's yep. my theory. <laughs> you you caught me. You yeah, yeah, caught me red handed. I'm on to you, ash.
0: Yeah, no. Why what can I say? Um but yeah, so I just wanted to cover that because I'm shocked that they went actually went back and changed that for the you know, for the collections. But uh but yeah, I think uh, as you said, John, it probably is just a convenient cover for getting around some legal issues. So cool. Well, then that about wraps it up for our new section this week. And uh, that means it's just about time for our uh, backer topics. And uh, just as a reminder, uh, each week we answer a question posed by one of our Patreon backers. And for just $1 a month, you too can suggest topics like the ones we're about to discuss. Uh, and you also get other bonuses, like early access to some, to some of our videos, as well as access to our patron-only channel on our Discord server. So uh, and you can get all that for just $1 a month. Uh, with that said, who wants to start us off with our backer topics this week?
1: Well, I think you have a pretty good segue, Ash, if you get started.
0: All right, well, I, I can. that's true, I guess, yeah. All right, well, then we'll go ahead and get me started, uh, or I'll start, off, start us off this week with Captain910, who says, Hi, GX, uh, with the Mega Man Legacy Collections now on Switch, I have been playing each game a lot more. But with intro cutscenes in Mega Man 7 and 8, I usually end up playing 1 through 6, 9, and 10. So my question is, has an intro to a game ever hurt the replay, re- replayability of the game for you? Uh, so... Thank you, captain One Ten. Great question. And the answer is yes, 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 and yes. Um, <laughs> so many games come to mind. Um, yeah, I mean, Twilight Princess, well known for having one of the yeah. most murderously boring openings in, in uh, the entire Zelda series, and it wasn't made that much better in Twilight Princess HD, so that's one for sure. Um, Kingdom Hearts 2. I, I have tried to replay Kingdom Hearts 2 so many times, and it's and so, and I have I have succeeded on at least one occasion, but I am so often stymied by that horribly slow opening with Roxas in Twilight Town. And yes, I know the story they're setting up. I know why it's important to have that, but it just completely obliterates the game's pacing right from the early hours. And I I, uh, one thing Andre and I have long agreed on is that it's really important for a game's opening hours to be really strong. Like I, I hate that excuse that's like, oh, well, it's it really good, 20 hours in. Well, okay. But why isn't it good from the start? Why do you have to wait 20 hours?
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, your first example was totally mine too. Like Fire Princess. <laughs> I mean, it, it's fine. I think the open, opening is fine the first time. Um, but it's when, when you come into repeat playthroughs where it's just so long-winded, and uh, I mean, it takes maybe two hours to get to the first dungeon. And a lot, of, a lot of the stuff before that is all narrative-focused, and, you know, you're herding up sheep, yep. you yeah. are, um, you're fetching a, uh, a bassinet, you're finding all these other things like that, and it's just very tedious work. And I get why they do it, you know, they're trying to sell you into this life of being a normal farmer, and it works the first time. It does not necessarily work the other times you try replaying the game, though.
0: yeah. No, and Skyward Sword had that problem, too, now that I think about it. I mean, and I, and I like Skyward Sword, I would say, more than a lot many people seem to, but the pacing in that game's early hours as well. I mean, you've got the whole Knight Academy, and you have to, you know, you learn to ride the Loftwing, and you've got the, the meeting with Zelda, and it's just, it takes so long to get going. And that's, I think that's something that Nintendo had seen a pattern was emerging, because Breath of the Wild literally starts you off, and you just get going. And I think that's one of, one of that game's greatest strengths. And that's not to say that an, a good opening cutscene can't work. It's just it can't be a good opening cutscene and then like hours of narrative exposition beyond that before you actually get to start playing the game. And uh Captain 910, your uh example of Mega Man 7 and 8 is perfect. 8 I don't think it's is big of a deal because you can skip the cutscenes. Um but Mega Man 7, as much as I like that game, that opening stage where you have to like yeah, like Otto is driving everyone and down the highway and he hits the bump and then He has to give Mega Man the Met helmet, and then he's like, oh, I like your regular helmet better. Like, it wasn't that funny the first time, and it really isn't funny, like, you know, the 200th time. And you can't skip it, you can't (laughs) speed up the dialogue, and that has definitely been a source of like, oh, I want to play Mega Man 7. Well, actually, no, I don't want to sit through that opening stage again.
2: When I'm um, looking at um, Resident Evil Four and Five, uh, Four just sort of throws you straight into the into the chaos. Like within two minutes, yeah. you're in an entire village being attacked by everybody. Yeah. And Five kind of hits the same beats, apart from it takes like twenty minutes to get to that segment. So, which isn't that long, really. But when you compare it to Four, it just the, the pacing just doesn't feel anywhere near as good. Yeah.
1: What do you guys feel about games that sort of take it where you're maybe in a. Li- Almost like if you're playing later in the game uh, and then sort of, let's say, Metroid Prime and then bring it back where you lose all your powers and kind of start over. Is that a way around this?
2: I like that, actually. I, I like when games um, start off showing you how powerful you can become mm-hmm. yeah. and then you sort of have to ramp up and get back to that point yeah. and then exceed it. And Metroid Prime does that really well. Like you start off with a morph ball and, um, and, the, and all the other powers like that. And it's great. it's just like a preview of what comes later. So you're starting off all vulnerable, but you still know what's going going to happen later. And you're you're just it's, um Mega Man X does that really well too. Actually, yeah, I was going to say you that. Have, um, you, you can elaborate on that then if you want to.
0: Oh yeah, I, was just, I mean, you were yeah. I mean, basically, I think we were going to say the same thing. But Mega Man X does that very well, where you know you start off in a very you know basic state, and then you uh, you know you basically in this opening stage. You know, X gets saved by Zero, and this is back kind of when uh, X saw Zero as more of a mentor, and you see right there, oh man, Zero's powerful, and he's got all these crazy, you know, shot, charge shots and stuff, and you get a sense of, that's what I'm, you know, that's what you're going to become with all the different armor upgrades and such. But not only do you become that powerful, you exceed that by a lot by the end of the game. So, yeah, I love when games do that, kind of give you a sneak peek of just how powerful you can become, or more, and then you kind of spend the game working your way up to that.
2: I like when RPGs do it as well. There's this one point in Final Fantasy VII where Sephiroth is in your party, yeah, and he's a much higher level than you are, and it just kind of um, not only does it show how powerful he is as a villain, but it gives you a little preview of what the combat can become later on in the game. Right.
0: Yeah. And um, uh, and FF six does that with like General Leo when you get to have him in your party. Of course, not not that Leo's a villain, but it kind of gives you a sense of oh this you know here's this character who's way more powerful than my characters at our current level. But then of course by the end of the game when you're in the world of Ruin, you've every one of your characters including you know realm and gao and whatever (laughs) have far exceeded general leo in power
1: hilarious example recently was overcooked where the first level you're kind of the whole you're on top of a rooftop trying to cook and the whole city's like on flames and you're trying to feed (laughs) us like satisfy a giant spaghetti monster (laughs) holding a fork and knife and it's like, you can't succeed. It's like, you're not ready yet. We have to travel 20 years back into the past That's so <laughs> for <good>. training. <laughs> and it's like a cookie game. I'm like, what is this? It's not what I expected, but it's what makes it so great.
0: <laughs> you know, and, oh, another game that does that incredibly well, too, I would say maybe, maybe the best among all the RPGs that I played is Chrono Trigger. Because, I mean, literally that game matches you up against the final boss and, and even dares you to, to challenge the final boss before you know you're ready. And there's at one point in the story where you still do have to go, you know, face Lavo's before the party is ready, and you get a pretty, pretty direct taste of how just how powerful he is compared to your party, and you know that that's what you're working up to, you know, by the end of the game. And I just, I, I agree with both of you. I love when games do that,
2: or when um, Symphony of the Night starts off ah, where yeah, kind really? of where Rondo of Blood ends, and that's just that's just so cool. Yeah.
0: No. That 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 yeah, that was one of the coolest things. I remember how yeah, when I first saw that, that was like, oh, this is the coolest thing. Yeah.
1: I had no idea that's what it was. I just thought,
0: you know, you get to find out what is a man. <laughs> well, and you do. I mean, I mean, he you know answers that question for you right away. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but to bring things back around to your question, Captain Nine One Zero. Yeah, no, I I definitely I think we all agree that it's incredibly important for a game to stick those opening hours. And and I definitely have been kind of warded off from repeat playthroughs from a game that I know has a really slow opening. Again, like Twilight Princess or Kingdom Hearts Two. So. No, it's a great point, and thank you for your question. So, uh, all right, well, Tom and John, you guys have a topic picked out as well. Who would like to uh, get us going?
1: I think I have Uh, a good middle topic, actually, John, if you want to... Yeah, sure. All right. I feel like John's is more of a high note. Uh, Well, this might be (laughs) dragging down in specifics. But anyway, my topic is from Joseph A. He says, do you ever wonder what it would be like if we had a famous Western game developer at Nintendo Stable? who has the same talent and prestige as someone like Sakurai, Aonuma, or Iwata. What special touch do you think they'd put in their games? I know there's plenty of prospective game developers outside of Japan who dream of making games for Nintendo, and with Japanese business climate, I wonder if any of us foreigners would be able to reach such a height of fame. Well, I think actually recently we saw it's possible, except it's not in North America, I might butcher his name here, but David Solani, or is that how you say his name, for Mario Oh, Gravets? yeah, yeah. Right. right. Because I think it was around, you know, 20 years ago, or 15, he waited outside a hotel that he knew Miyamoto was staying at to get Miyamoto to, like, to sign one of his games or something along those lines. And then here we are, and he's uh, seeing his game an- announced with Mario in it, by Miyamoto on stage I, I guess you know last year or was it two years ago I forget but. so that that could happen and it has to be someone who cares about the series a lot uh, otherwise I would think if this was a few years ago we'd be talking about someone like Or Spector uh, releasing Epic Mickey on the Wii it'd be I think it'd be something more along those lines so what do you guys think
2: I think it's interesting seeing um, Metroid, because that um, that was taken off by Retro Studios, yeah. who are a Texas-based development team. Yeah. And then, uh, most recently, with Samus Returns, we had Mercury Steam, who I believe are Spanish. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that franchise become so Western, too. And it lends itself really well to a Western appeal, I feel. So, yeah, I think it depends on the franchise, but sometimes Western influence can um, inject some fresh perspective into the franchises. Like... Um, as you said with Mario Rabbids, that's a great one. Um, I'd also like to see maybe, hmm, I was gonna say Donkey Kong, but you know, the Retro Studios did yeah. that one. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I kind
0: of, I, I feel like perhaps Star Fox could maybe wh- benefit from a Western touch. Um, I, I don't know if that'll happen, but I feel like obviously Nintendo has reached, I think, kind of a a, a natural endpoint or, or kind of spinning their wheels in terms of. Just where to take the Star Fox concept next? I think the industry has evolved in such a way that the Star Fox sixty four style doesn't really, you know, it's, it's it's not as revolutionary as it once was. And so releasing another game like Star Fox sixty four doesn't mean as much in two thousand eighteen as it did back in nineteen ninety eight. Um, but you know, with that said, I do think there are ways that Star Fox could evolve, and and uh, especially you know with a Western touch. And I say that as someone who typically prefers Japanese games. I, I just usually prefer. The different things associated with Japanese game development. That's. But th- th- that said, there are certain Western games and certain tenets of Western game development I love, and I do think Star Fox is one of the one of those series that might be able to really benefit uh, from perhaps a Western touch. Who that would be? Yeah, is they hard could to do say.
2: some sort of um, Star Fox racing game, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, I know, right? I know <laughs> from a Grand
0: Prix. I know, and then that may be what's happening. Who knows? I mean, and if it is, then that might be exactly what I'm talking about um but yeah i think you know we we saw the what can happen when you go too far with that kind of mindset with capcom recently where you know back when before kaji Inafune left the company he was just going really hard with this you know western developers are doing everything right and japanese developers are doing everything wrong and every japanese game needs to take as much inspiration from every western game as much as possible and we saw how that worked out and it didn't work out well for them it it ended up with games like dmc devil may cry and the lost planet like lost planet 2 and 3 and games that people decidedly did not like, um, or at least didn't, didn't love in the way that Capcom expected them to. So I think there is a, a balance to be struck, and I think a light touch needs to be taken when trying to bring Western game design stuff into Japanese games. But I think if it's done in the right way and to the right degree, it can really, really make a difference. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say earlier that's the that, uh, Yeah you
1: know the japanese uh, people in general like i think mobile was really popular at the time and i was watching a documentary about this recently and some developers are just saying they kind of forgot the uh you know who they are in a way it was just trying to follow what other people are doing and being successful but forgot what made them successful in the first place
0: well cool thank you for that uh for that topic joseph a and uh john do you want to end us off here
2: Sure. Um, So we've got a question from Jesse, I think it's Zuniga. I think he got it, yeah. Um, He says, Hey GX, uh, what is a game series you've invested a lot of time in but stopped playing? And what reasons um, do you have for stopping? Thanks. So, I haven't really stopped with this one, but I've been done for a while, and that's Halo. Um, I I invested so much time into Halo 1, 2, 3, and ODST, uh, to the point where it was probably one of my favourite franchises at one point. But with four and five, I've just slipped off. Like four, four offended me <laughs> in many <laughs> heard ways. That, yeah, and and five, just it wasn't much better. I mean, they they don't really understand like three four three the the studio behind it. I don't feel understand what makes Halo what it is. Um, and I've just kind of been off the Halo hype for a while now. Like, I, I I did play five. I played the campaign and a bit of the multiplayer. But I wasn't excited for it, and I was very let down by it, even with no excitement for it. (laughs) Um, But the most recent Halo Infinite trailer actually had me a bit excited, because they've changed Master Chief's helmet back to the original one, and the setting looks very similar to the first game. And it's just sort of ticking the right boxes, like I feel like they're going back to where it started. But at the same time, I'm I'm very cautious about this. So I I definitely do not invest the same time into Halo anymore, um, but I am, um, I, I, I still want it to return to what it was, and I feel like they might with Infinite. Um, but yeah, what, what about you guys? Are there any franchises that you um, played a lot but just don't so much these days?
0: Man, I'm actually having a hard time coming up with an answer to this question. I mean, in general, I mean, there are certain genres that I don't, I don't devote as much time to because I just typically don't have time. Like JRPGs, I used to play JRPGs like all the time. I would just go through them like they were nothing. But of course, as an adult, it's much harder for me to devote that kind of time to a single game. So I'm very choosy about the JRPGs I actually play and devote that much time to. But in terms of specific game franchises, I'm actually having a really, I guess Animal Crossing might be one where, you know, I I played tons of hours of of most or, or half of the Animal Crossing games. I played a ton of Wild World and a ton of New Leaf. And eventually I just kind of fell off because once you've filled out the museums and once you've done, you know, most of the of the questy type things that for that you can do around the village it kind of you know does just become the same okay well i'm gonna go pick some pick some weeds and kind of make the rounds and do that every day and for a while it's kind of a nice routine and it gets kind of relaxing but then after a while it just becomes so much of a time sink and, and without enough new that i just kind of eventually have to give up on it but i'm trying uh, to think of other fr- it's, it's really hard actually it is i have
1: <laughs> i have one in mind for myself uh I used to play a ton of the Yakuza series. Oh, yeah. um, but I don't know if it's just a general thing where I kind of burn out after three games and they're like released each year in quick succession. Or um, maybe a problem was that some of them I was getting were the imports and I don't understand a ton of Japanese. <laughs> so just running around towns and just following an arrow might get tiresome. But I think mm-hmm. the main thing was that the gameplay stagnated in a way. Like I see now, there's more styles, but you don't have to do a whole lot in that game to beat the crap out of other people on the street. Um, and the PSP one was interesting because it was more of a one-on-one battle, and it was almost closer to a boxing game or something like Punch Out, where you have to be more careful of the moves. But the main series, you know, I, I found I felt like they were focusing so much on story and maybe mini games and stuff that. They didn't take the opportunity to improve the core fighting gameplay, and you know, I kind of I grew tired of it.
2: As someone who's only played um, Yakuza One and Three, I think yeah. I'm kind of intimidated to jump back in. Like, they feel it feels like there's new Yakuza games coming out all the time. Yeah, yep. I, recently we've had Zero, the remake, um, Five and Six, and I just I cannot keep up with those, and uh, I just I just don't feel like I want to because it's just too much of a commitment to jump in now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say, if anything, just, was it Kiwani 2 or whatever? Maybe just try that one. Out of all the different Yakuza games, I would say the second one was my favorite, the antagonist. He was the, uh, I guess, the closest to a doppelganger of Kiryu, uh, but mm-hmm. yet being more of a, being a jerk. So I would say maybe just play that one and uh, don't worry about other ones for the time being... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually got to play some Yakuza 2 or sorry, Yakuza Kiwami 2 at E3 and like like every other time I played a Yakuza game I, I know that I would I, I would enjoy it. I know I would and I, I really would love to just play the whole series but I also know that I would get burned out especially because each game is so dense and so there's so much to do and uh, I, I, I have a hard time with that series because I really, really know that I would love it but at the same time the time sync aspect I just can't Sink that much time into a whole series of games these days, and yeah. it's a, it's a real shame because I really would love to experience it. Because just the little snippets I played of various games, including Kiwami Two, and I think I played a little bit of Yakuza Six last year, I really like it, and I love the focus on storytelling, and I love how just real the the it feels. I love how how real that kind of digital construction of of Japan really feels. And uh, but man, I just it's such a huge time sink.
2: I think for a lot of people, the answer to this question would probably be Sonic. Um, Aye, sure. But for me personally, like even at Sonic's lowest points, I still sort of see the good in those games. Like even um, Secret Rings and Black Knight had redeemable factors. And um, just because I've 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 always loved the franchise, and uh, even at its lowest points, I still think there are good games in there. Like Unleashed is still a good game, uh, despite the werehog being garbage. <laughs> but yeah, yeah um, I, I just think most Sonic games still are pretty fun
1: it sounds like a potential super scope
2: fodder <laughs> yeah i suppose so <laughs> I-, I would totally
0: team up with you on that too if you wanted because e- everything you just said john about like sonic unleash and even the series at its lowest points being fun i completely agree and so many people like to just kind of hand wave oh yeah you know all modern sonic or all 3d sonic is just garbage and i'm like you have no idea what you're talking about and yes a lot of it is garbage but not all of it and what isn't is actually some of it's really great. And I still think Sonic Unleashed, yes, despite the awful Werehog parts, you know, half of that game is brilliant. Half of it isn't, but half of it's really, really good. And, you know, yeah, there, there are even elements, like you know, he he's at Secret Rings, and, and I could also, you could also extrapolate this to Mega Man as well. I mean, Mega Man has had some usually low points, like rock bottom low points. And, you know, even, but even during those times, like the X6 and X7 years, I still stuck with it because I, you know, I mean... I I will say there aren't really good elements of those games to defend, but at the same time, if you're just in that into a series, you're going to see it through its darkest times as well as it's as well as its best. Um so mm-hmm. I, I won't go so far as to say there are redeemable elements about XX and X Seven, because there really aren't. Well, X6 is the soundtrack is great, but beyond that, really nothing. But uh I don't really know where I was going with this, but I just, I basically my my whole point was <laughs> you can extrapolate that experience with Sonic fans to Mega Man as well, and um yeah. yeah, it's just, you know, you kinda have to be willing, I think, to if you if you're gonna invest that much in this series, kinda just be willing to stick with it through its darkest times as as well, I should say. Yeah. I
2: was. for me I I feel like um there aren't very many Sonic games that aren't fun, and some of the most boring Sonic games actually released during what people consider the golden age. Uh like games like Sonic Labyrinth are probably some of the worst Sonic right. games out there. Um, but yeah, like if you look at Adventure and Adventure 2 and Heroes, um, I like all of those. Heroes is probably the worst out of those, but I, I wouldn't call it boring. It's still a fun game. Yeah, I
0: still 100% Heroes, even though I wanted to pull my hair out a lot of the time. It was still, you know, I still am <laughs> glad that I did it, and I don't feel like it was a waste of time. And I mean, even, look, even Sonic 2006, as horrible as it is, it had redeemable elements in the sense, not that there were good game elements in that game, but it had redeemable elements in the sense that it's got Sonic kissing a human girl, And, you know, absolutely just absurd. Like, you can't make that up. You cannot make something so stupid and so absurd up. And that's the only Sonic game that's ever going to have that. So, you know, there are certain... If you you can appreciate badness, kind of like I can, like one of my favorite movies of all time is The Room. Like, and I guess I just appreciate kind of badness for how entertaining it can be. And so even Mm -hmm. games like Sonic 2006 that don't have redeemable elements in terms of their gameplay you can still look for things to appreciate that really could have only existed in that game at the time that it came out. Yeah.
2: Sonic 06 is actually a great multiplayer game. You can just sit there with a a friend and just appreciate how bad it is together. (laughs) And it's also
0: fun just discovering, like one, one thing that's really fun about Sonic 06 is discovering just how broken it is and discovering all the new ways in which it's broken. Like toward the end of the game, you get that there's some ability that you get, which miniaturizes Sonic, but they forgot to make it so that you can't just jump forever when you're miniature. So Whenever you're like Tiny Sonic, you can just jump forever and completely break the game. And oh, it's wow. not, you don't even have to, you, there's not, a, you don't have to glitch it out. There's nothing. All you do is just transform and suddenly you have this infinite jump and you can just, I did use that to just completely cheese the rest of the game because it was such a bad game that I didn't want to play it the way it was meant to be played. So it was kind of, it worked out in my favor in that sense. But, but uh yeah, I, I love how completely kind of how much we circumvented the original topic now. Just talking wow. about, you know, badness.
1: It's a, This is like a series you invested a lot of time in, but kept playing even though you knew moments were bad at this point. Right. right. I, I guess I <laughs> did... It's like, we didn't stop, we kept going. Yeah. I, I did come it.
0: slightly... I came close, well, not close, but I, I did start thinking about quitting Battle Network when Battle Network 4 came out because I loved the Battle Network games so much that, that my love for them kind of carried me through some of the repetitious, you know, like the the random encounter rate was way too high and just kind of the whole, some of the repetitious elements of the series in general. But then Battle Network 4 came out and it was just, you know, repetitive and had that same random like high encounter rate, but also was just a bad game on top of it. So that was when I started feeling the slog, like, okay, I'm getting a little older. Do I really have time to keep doing the same thing over and over again? And 4 almost took me out of it, but then 5 came out and was great again. So it brought me right back in. But there are there are certain... I will say that in general, I will... I spend less time with games now that don't try to meet me where I am. Like, one of one of my favorite things about the, the Bravely series of games to take things back to that is that they they offer a completely customizable gameplay experience and none of it is punitive. So if you're a busy working adult, you can knock the random encounter rate to down to zero if you need to get out and save and get to a save point. Or if you want to grind, you can knock the encounter rate to max. You can set the battle speed to, like, triple or whatever and you can do that and more and more i find myself giving up on individual games that expect me to meet them where they are because it's like no that's not how this works like you need to be respectful and mindful of my time and as i get older i find that i have less patience for games that are not respectful of my time so yeah even though it's not quite answering your question jesse in terms of specific games uh, i will say that games you know that that have the quality of not respecting my time and like unskippable cutscenes or and not that I skip cutscenes but like like if you there's a boss fight where I keep dying at and I have to rewatch that cutscene every time and I can't skip it I'm probably going to drop that game mm-hmm. because yeah I just don't have time for games like that anymore whereas as a kid and as a teen I did and I, I would look past that
1: Shovel Knight they did a wonderful job with their checkpoints for having an, even a risk reward structure based around them where if you have the time and you want to you can just destroy the checkpoints and keep going yeah, that was really clever.
0: Yeah, I mean that was exactly that's another example of a game like basically letting you dictate how much time you want to spend on it and how hard you want it to be. And I really really appreciate games that do that and and yeah, so I guess the, I would say in general the older I get, you know, if a game has exceptionally punishing checkpoints or just is is ex, you know, exceptionally difficult or or just makes it harder than it should be for me to play it and experience the entirety of it, those kinds of games I'm more likely to drop these days than I used to be. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I love how that, that question led us to so many different topics of discussion, so thank you so much for that question, Jesse. And that about wraps it up for our backer topics this week, so uh, that means we're just about finished. But as a reminder, for just $1 a month, you can suggest topics like the ones we just discussed, as well as get early access to some of our videos and access to our patrons-only channel on our Discord server. Uh, but with that said, whether you're a patron or not, thank you so much for watching. Uh, your support means so much. We really would not be here if it weren't for every single one of you. So whether you're a patron or not, thank you so much for listening and for support- supporting Game Explain. And we will see you next week for episode 107. Take care, guys. Right. And Ash, on that note, I, one of our backers said they
1: want to hear you say goodbye. That's something they want. Oh, to I happen. forgot. Because
2: yeah, now Derek can't stop you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's true. Derek's
0: not here to stop me. All right. Well, then here we go. Are you, are, we're going to do a proper outro with me saying okay. goodbye. All right. Here we go. Thank you guys so much for watching and for your support, and we will see you next year, or next year, next week for episode 107 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. All right, guys, take care. Bye. Bye. Take that,
2: Derek. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to take out your, your buy now, Tom. <laughs>